Welcome everybody to the Spiral Podcast. Alongside me, Timo Lenhard, Stephen Holland. My name is John Eads. Big shout out to our producer, Carson Tepfer. Folks, so, how we doing? <laughs> hopefully good. <laughs> we had this little uh, crazy idea to start a little podcast here, just some college football fans and some of us gurus, others, you know, not so much, but that's okay. Um, so basically, we're just going to make this podcast. Uh, we'll keep it pretty short. We're just going to, you know, bring you our takes on uh, different different uh, situations, stuff about last season, this season, recruiting, you know, the whole wide spectrum. Today's episode specifically, we're going to do a little uh, review of last season, who we thought was good, who we thought was bad, who we thought could improve. Then we're going to jump into the teams that were pretty improved this year that we liked, you know, to watch and uh, that, you know, got a good thing going on there uh, at their programs. And then we're going to talk about coaching changes and uh, a couple notable transfers, and then the new ranking uh, transfer ranking system that's in 247sports.com. Then we're going to jump into coaches on the hot seat, um, if, they're, if they'll be able to keep their jobs this year, um, and then some coaches who you know, aren't necessarily on the hot seat, but who have questions to answer and um, you know, things to prove this year. Just basically satisfy your off-season college football desires. Right. Exactly. Then we'll close the show off with a segment I like to call Buy or Sell. Uh, We're going to present a number of ten ideas or proposals, and then the guys here will either say buy, which means that you will take the bet or you agree, and sell means that you don't want to bid or you don't agree with what the proposal is. Jeeves, why don't you start us off with the (laughs) synopsis of last season? Yeah, so we're going to hop right into it here. Um, So last season was really, you know, uh, I thought it was a lot better than the 2017 season um, just because there were a lot more, you know, good teams overall. It wasn't just, you know, Bama and Clemson dominating. They they had to, you know, they faced a couple tests. Like this year, uh, the college football playoff, uh, the four teams uh, in order uh, were Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. And uh, all four of those teams really deserving of a spot in the playoff. And the playoff, the playoff games were pretty good. Uh, Clemson-Notre Dame was kind of a blowout, but if you really watch the game, it was a lot closer than you think. And it was nice to see a team like Notre Dame get there who, you know, they can't take all the top recruits because it's really hard to get into their school. So you got to worry about that aspect of recruiting there. And then you got to worry about, you know, making sure the players that you're taking are smart and also, you know, good, and they'll provide a good product on the field. So it was nice to see a team like them get there. Oklahoma's starting to... Um, you know, produce a brand uh, of success as that was their second year in a row. Getting based there. on based on short quarterbacks, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, they had you know a pretty good season considering that they just lost a Heisman winner and got another one back, and they're two different quarterbacks. You got Baker Mayfield, who was you know mostly an accurate pocket passer, and then Kyler Murray, who's just a just an athlete. There's no other way to put and, it. And one heck of a shortstop, might I add. Right, as he was drafted first round in the MLB draft. Couldn't agree more with you, Steve. <laughs> but anyways, uh, yeah, and then the Alabama-Oklahoma game, that was a really excellent game too. Featured a lot of fireworks. Everything you'd expect, really. Kyler Murray had a great game. And uh, Tua played pretty well, but really uh, the Alabama wide receivers uh, stole the show for them. You know, up to that point in the season, before the, the championship game between Alabama and Clemson, I would say most... Most experts would agree that Oklahoma was the one team in the nation that people gave a shot against Alabama. Because, you know, any game with Bama, if you're going to win it, it's going to have to be a dogfight. It's going to have to be in the air. It's going to be hard-hitting. 
and uh, it was going to be high scoring no matter what. And it turns out that Clemson, you know, uh, sunned them, if you will. Uh, but up to that point in the season, uh, Oklahoma is one of the teams where you, you look at the look at Alabama and everyone they've played, and you say, okay, these might be the only guys to have a shot yet. And uh, like you know, like we said, Clemson disproved that. But uh, you know, I was really looking forward to that semifinal game. As was I. As, that's a great point, Steve. Uh, you know, I heard it all year, guys saying, uh, you know, like Michigan would probably give Alabama the best shot, um, which you know, that was primarily the hot take during Michigan's 10-game win streak, you know, teams like that. But really, college football is kind of taking a new shape where um, you can win a game by scoring 70 points. doesn't matter if you give up 60, 50, 40, even 3. Um, if you put up 70 points, 60 points a game, you can win any game. And um, only got to score one more than the opponent. Exactly. That's true. Um, so while we look at all these, you know, statistics about how a team like Michigan has a number one defense um, – you know, it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because Bama put up 45 on Oklahoma, and while their defense has struggled, they only put up 34. Um, so really, when it comes down to it, uh, teams that win championships now not only have, uh, you know, a firework and a solid, you know, kind of offense like Bama and Oklahoma have, Litnikoff winners on the outside and then a Heisman contenders, and, you know, uh, as a signal callers, you got to have a you know at least a mediocre defense. Oklahoma's defense was pretty below average. Um, they had they fired their DC mid year, um, and they you know obviously they bring a new one in mid season. So that's kind of a tough thing to do. But it, just look at Clemson. They had a really good defense. I, f- I feel like the defense um, was the backbone of their team. But they also had the number one quarterback recruit back at the helm, Trevor Lawrence, and. Uh, just really good on both sides of the ball, and that's really why yeah, they won the championship. Any any defense that makes Tua look bad is is bound to be one of the best in the nation. I mean, when you can put the fear of God into that boy, you're doing something special over at your program. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I really didn't expect that to come, honestly. Just because people, when they think of Alabama now, they're like, oh, unstoppable, you can't beat them. Um, you know, the only teams that we can remember – uh, that have beaten them recently are like the Johnny Manziel, Texas A&M teams, you know. Um, but Clemson just made them look silly, to be quite honest with you. And Tua just looked like he didn't know what to do. You know, I think Alabama was just more ready for that game than uh, than Clemson. But when it comes down to when it comes down to it, Trevor Lawrence is the best player on the field yeah. for for four quarters. I think Alabama had put everything into that season to a point where I did not give Clemson a single chance, and. Uh, that's where that's where everyone messed up, I think. Really, I thought uh, Trevor Lawrence was a better quarterback than Tua. Yeah, he was a high raw athlete. I feel like yeah, yeah. Especially especially in high school, Trevor Lawrence was a man among boys, and uh, those are the kind of guys college programs look to look to nip at is, is guys who they can step in and you know they're not going to be like deer in headlights right when they get to a program. They're gonna they're gonna step in right away and, and make an impact. And winning a national championship is one heck of an impact. Yeah. As a freshman, may I add, yeah, he just he was highly, he was more highly recruited. Um, I mean, excuse me, highly. He had a better rating than Tua did uh, in recruiting sites. As Lawrence was the number one overall pro style pocket quarterback recruit, and he chose Clemson. And uh, Tua was uh, also highly recruited, obviously, but he was he was recruited as a dual threat guy. Though I haven't really seen him use his feet as much as you know a dual threat quarterback recruit would. Um, yeah, I expected him to to be more like a. Russell Wilson type quarterback. Yeah, and you see his size, and that's what you expect. Uh, and then Trevor Lawrence to be, you know, 
like a tall Matt Stafford just laying in the sitting in the sitting in the pocket and just sending out yeah. some, some bombs. Yeah. But really, especially in that championship game, Trevor Lawrence can that kid can move. Yeah, yeah. Don't Pretty be fooled. versatile. Yeah, and that definitely does not hurt. So he's got one more year. Um, I mean, he's got you know he's got three more years guaranteed. But I, he's definitely not staying after sophomore year. I don't think at least. I, right I don't know why you when that contract yeah. stares you in the face. It's hard to to say no with the risk of an injury, especially when you're playing. Right. 14, 15 games a year at a, at a program that's that's getting beat up a lot just because everyone everyone's you know got you circled on their schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a player you're definitely gonna be see playing on Sundays within the next one or two years. And I'm excited. I'm excited for that. You know, yeah. see that see that nice mane sticking out of it. Yeah, helmet. probably, probably nice the Giants. Shot. The Giants were being realistic. Yeah, uh, maybe we'll see. He's got Haskins on the board this year, but uh, we're gonna switch gears now. Um, so that was kind of your synopsis of last season. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about teams that we thought were improved this year. Uh, what do you guys think? Give me one team that you thought you know, improved I'm, I'm this gonna year. I'm going to have to go with uh, with Mississippi State. You know, a, a team that I liked I liked to watch all season. End of the season at eight and five. Where when you look on that from an outsider's perspective, you you say, oh wow, you know, you know, okay year for the program, but really nothing special. But, uh, you know, that's the, the beast of being in the SEC West when you play some of the best teams year in, year out. And they had to play a really good Kentucky team. That was one of their losses. A really hot Florida team. That was one of their losses along with losses to LSU, Alabama. And then, you know, in the bowl game, they blew it against Iowa. But really, you know, they put up some impressive scores. 52-6 to win over Arkansas uh, was, was one of the, my personal favorites to watch. But, uh, yeah, they were a team that um, – Really, just got defeated by their own schedule, and I think I think the uh, the rankings noticed that and put them in the top twenty-five, uh, rightfully. I'd say the team that improved most was Michigan. You know, twenty eighteen season, um, they went eight and five, didn't beat any of their Big Ten rivals, and then they flipped the switch almost. Jim Harbaugh and his team comes back this year, beat all their rivals for the most part they head into columbus uh going 10 and 1 um didn't get the result they wanted but i think that's a good flip of the switch from 2018 to 2019 john care to speak any more on that yeah um i mean while it was an improved season um they obviously didn't finish the way they wanted to and there's still some stuff on the table they got to take care of but that's a that's definitely a good team to uh to use for this segment as they did, uh, you know, they called it the revenge tour. They beat, they came back to beat Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Penn State. Obviously, they just couldn't get Ohio State, but uh, I think that definitely, um, that's definitely a reason for celebration for an improved season there in Ann Arbor. Um, you know, it was kind of a, kind of a dull off season last year. They were coming off of an eight and five year. Didn't really beat anybody notable. Didn't really make any strides as a program. A lot of question marks. Um, but this year, there's definitely some reason for optimism, um, even though they did lose to Ohio State and they lost another bowl game. Um, a lot of guys coming back, good recruits coming in. Um, you know, you gotta like uh, what's going on there. You know, especially after after you know the previous seasons, just I don't want I don't want to call it a collapse, but just really just poor showing over the entire season. Um, headed into the Notre Dame game, it was for me it was a you know, a break or a bust, and, you know, they, it looks like they broke pretty early, even though, you know, they really only lost in the last possession. Yeah. Um, after that game, I, I kind of was like, all right, here we go again. Kind of a same old Lions vibe, even though, you know, Michigan's always been one of the better teams in the nation. I kind of threw in the towel in the season, and they really did a great job of turning it around. 
and uh, had it, you know, they had it where they had themselves in a position where they had, can head into Columbus and and they can get themselves into the playoff, or they can or they can they can lose the game and throw it all away. And unfortunately, you know, they couldn't get it done out there. One of the hardest places in the country to win. Um, I myself was at was at Ford Field during that game. Had you know press passes, not a big deal. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 tough to to lose and to say you lost you know all the prospect of a season especially on one day against a rival in their in their stadium but you know they had to be proud of the work they did and I'm sure they'll be coming back yeah uh to touch on that Notre Dame game I was at that game and while they did lose really the the deciding factors were ejections penalty flags and just miscues in general really I saw a lot of signs of a team that was five times better than last year's team I saw a lot of different things that it just makes football fun to watch, and while people were, you know, talking on Twitter about how, you know, we're not gonna have, it's gonna be another eight and five year, we're gonna lose to everybody, you know, blah 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 blah. I knew that we would definitely have a, a solid year, and we would definitely improve on last year. Um, so I I did like uh, their season. Obviously, some stuff left to take care of as Harbaugh's gone ten and three in three out of his four seasons. Um, so he's just gotta he's gotta win a bowl game. He's got to beat Ohio State, and he's got to break that 10-win mark. And, you know, you always criticize the teams that you follow the closest the most. You notice the mistakes the most. When when you're watching a, a team, when you're looking at just statistics of a team you haven't really watched all year, and you see it looks like they, can do it, they, they could be doing great, but in reality, if you watch some of the games, they're, you know, cutting it close and pulling out gritty wins. And that's that's the one thing is as, as a Michigan fan yourself, I'm sure you know that you that you pay little too much attention to them when comparing them to other teams. That's a good point, Han. Let's move on to our next topic, coaching changes and the notable transfers. Uh, John's going to bring us through the new transfer ranking system and the transfer portal seen on 247 Sports. John, care to comment? (laughs) Yes, Timo. Um, Yeah, so I've been waiting for this for a while, really. Um, last year, a lot of a lot of crazy transfers like Shea Patterson, who was a former five-star recruit, number one pro-style quarterback, transferring to Michigan. Um, you know, different things like that. It just now that they have a ranking system, it makes it another element uh, that fans can just follow and guys can predict on. It's tra- it's just like recruiting out of high school or JUCO. So now people they get new ratings like Justin Fields, for example. He's a he's a consensus uh, five-star, 1.0 rating. Um, and it's just fun to watch, uh, you know, these, these guys putting in crystal balls for who's, which schools they think these guys might transfer to. And this year, obviously it's really blown up the transfer portal. Um, to explain that it's basically the transfer portal is you're putting your name in, uh, on a list and you can pull out at any time. You don't, when you put your name into this list, you don't have to leave your school to go to another school. You can just put your name out there and coach can contact you to see if you'd like to, you know, find a new home. New, uh, new opportunity, um, and in a lot of cases, these are guys just trying to find better teams so they have better opportunity to get looked at for the NFL. Um, you know, because a lot of these lower recruited ratings, uh, rating guys, just want to get the looks that they think they deserve. And you know, if you're playing at a um, school like UTEP or um, Tulane, you don't really get those kind of television looks and exposure to the NFL scouts. So um, just think of last year, Calvin Anderson, who played for Rice. Uh, transferred to Texas, and now he's on the NFL uh, mock draft big boards. Um, 
you know, he just really wanted to get that exposure. Uh, so it's it's just it's just a really cool new element for guys uh, in the off season, fans in the off season, uh, to just you know ways to get excited and ready for the season. Just like if you're looking at the ratings and recruiting of guys straight out of high school. Now, if, if you're a player looking to use that transfer portal, you've got to alert your coach, right? That you're that you're putting your name out there. You can't be you know you know blindsiding him with other offers, correct? Yeah, there should be that kind of transparency between the player and the coach because if there's not. There's really just something wrong with the program, and uh, you know, you can bet your butt yeah. that players gonna hear about that. And, and I'd imagine that um, guys who guys who are making that decision to put their name out there to other coaches, saying, "Hey, I'm ready to move, ready to leave, or at least I'm willing to look at options," you've got to be pretty sure about yourself because if you're telling a coach, "Hey, I wanna, hey, I wanna leave," you can you can bet putting your name in that portal is pretty much telling him that you're not you're not committed to the program. And for college football coaches especially, I'm sure that's a a really good reason for them to disregard you as a as a part of their future. Yeah, I mean, some would think that in most cases, but I'm thinking of a guy who uh, who's a freshman at Alabama this year who was recruited heavily. He was like the number one um, defensive end recruit, really. His name's uh, Ayabi Anoma. He put his name in the transfer portal, and uh, right away, like Michigan fans, other teams who heavily recruited him were like, whoa, you know, this could be huge. Um, but soon after, he pulled out of that, and uh, really that was just because he had a conversation with Nick Saban about how he'll be used uh, in, in their program and in their schemes because this year he didn't play a lot, and as you know, one of the top recruits, you expect to play yeah. and be a vital role of the team in year one. And I'm, I'm sure if, if you're in that position where you know you're going to be playing in the NFL, you know you're going to be a big-time college football star, you can use the transfer portal as, as a bargaining chip since you don't really have contract negotiations you can do as a, as a college athlete. You can say, hey... If you're not going to play me here, I'll go somewhere else, which is the reason for a lot of transfers. Uh, as unfortunate as, as it is after guys commit to schools, then they just don't get treated as, as they like, and they, they, they decide to leave. But, yeah, if you're one of those one of those big-time guys, it's one of the one of the few pieces of leverage that you have over, over a coach. Right? Yeah, I agree. You know, there are a lot of risks to putting your name in the portal unless you're a big-name player, which a coach would probably want back on the roster. But players who do enter their name into the portal can potentially lose their scholarships at the semester's end and a program's under no obligation to keep a player on the roster that explores the transfer options so i mean it's definitely a risky move if you're not yeah, you like, gotta you gotta be pretty sure of yourself yeah, yeah like for guys like tate martell kelly bryant justin fields like obviously their schools wouldn't mind too much if they did come back after going into the portal but you know lower level guys probably aren't in such a good position doing that yeah because there's really no just because you put your name in the transfer portal doesn't mean you're going to get a spot on a team a lot of guys still don't even have offers and that's that's true with a lot of juco guys too um a lot of them will just stop playing football because you know they expect to get some d1 offers or go to a better school but they just don't get them and it's it's it is really a risk when you transfer too because, um, you know what's what's to tell you that you're gonna be the starter in two years? You know they could recruit somebody while you're sitting out that one year that you have to wait, um, and you may never just get your mojo back. And a lot of guys just fall off the ladder. Just think of Demetrius Robertson who transferred to Georgia this year. We didn't see him like at all, and he was a former five-star wide receiver recruit, and he was a beast at Cal and just wanted to go to Georgia, but he never really played. Um, so really what's been more popular lately has been the grad transfer in which guys will who have already completed school will go
go to other schools and play for a year or two years, um, having already graduated, so really they can just focus on football, which I think is pretty cool. So do you guys think players who do transfer will, or like they should deserve automatic eligibility? I think it's a case-by-case basis, you know, when with a guy like, uh, like Kelly Bryant, he's leaving because he's not going to have a job if Trevor Lawrence is at Clemson. Um, but then you look at a guy like Justin Fields where there was the alleged issues of, of, of abuse or like racially charged abuse while, during his time in Georgia. And, uh, you know, a guy like that who's leaving because he's, he's, he's being abused on campus, uh, of course, I think should, should be able to step in and play right away. Uh, as long as it is the, the truthful reason, but a guy like Kelly Bryant, who's leaving because he got beat by a, by a better quarterback, um, and I think there there are some some shady dealings that could go on. There's some 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 the, the slimy hands of college football could could be getting involved in those situations. So I think you know it, it, they've they've kind of got it figured out where by making by making guys guys sit here, they they really make them think about transferring to see if they got the right reasons. It could be it could even be the flip side of that though, Stephen. Like when you mentioned a guy like Kelly Bryant, he did get beat up by Trevor Lawrence. But when when the when the committee who goes over this looks at that, they'll be like they'll, they'll probably show him some sympathy, you know, um, because that's just kind of a tough. He he kind of got misled, and that's kind of a tough tough thing to deal with. So they probably give him immediate eligibility upon review. Um, but a guy like Justin Fields, I think he's transferring solely. Just to play football, Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. Ohio State doesn't have a quarterback this year because Tate Martell transferred. And I read an article about how the racial situation really wasn't his, yeah. his you know motivation to transfer. Uh, you know, obviously Jake Fromm beat him out, but he's probably going to the NFL next year. So really, it's not a doomsday scenario for him. He could stay at Georgia, and still start two to three years. Um, you know, think of Tate Martell even too. I don't, I don't even know what his reason for transferring was. Um, I think it was the fact that they said they weren't going to bring in another guy or a transfer, um, yet they did. That may have been that. Yeah, but they he, misled him. Yeah. yeah. If Tate Martell is granted immediate eligibility, though, he's going to break the system, I'm hearing, because he really doesn't have that strong of a case. Mm-hmm. And like um, even like Justin Fields, I, I think he has family at Georgia. I think he has yeah. a sister that runs, they live runs in track there. They live and, in yeah, and his whole family's from Georgia. So you really – it. It seems like it'd be a football-driven decision, and he's really looking yeah. looking for his his professional future. And uh, like we were talking about Shea, Shea Patterson a little bit earlier, like I think he's kind of a situation where you got to give him immediate eligibility because yeah. the program fell apart around him. You can't really blame him for for the the horrible things that happened over over in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, case by case basis. But I think in general, a lot of the decisions are. Are you know the the board is going to sympathize with the players who yeah. who were promised certain things because the guys are kids the guys are kids you know I, at that point I just I just wonder why even have it you know at all uh, because there's really not going to be that many cases where a guys where a guy doesn't have a pretty compelling case as to yeah. why he wants to transfer because a lot of guys when they commit to a school they expect to be there for four years and just you know just live it up yeah. uh, but that's not always the case and you know I, I think if you allow coaches to transfer from school to school like that without any penalty really whatsoever. I think players should be allowed to do that, but I, it might get to a point where super, you know, dynasties form because guys are just going to one school, you know, to form a dynasty like that and, you know, that's obviously cause for concern on shady dealings and Yeah, I think you know, one of the one of the biggest concerns with uh transfers is the, you know, the underground financial yeah. part of it where oh, why did this guy just transfer to a school who 
probably won't make it into the top 25 rankings at any point this year. Well, because you know the Booster Club gave him a gave him a fat check, and uh, I think that's what the the transfer the transfer review board is most concerned about, rather than guys who you know are just not playing any football, guys who are are unhappy with their with their lives on one campus or another. All right. Uh, now that we've discussed some of the transfer portal and had a little debate on if players should get uh, automatic eligibility, we're going to move on to our discussion about coaches. Uh, John, Han, any coaches on the notable hot seat? Well, and go- next question would be, any coaches have something to prove this year? Uh, I think two answers to that question. Uh, one guy for both, for both questions, uh, Jim Harbaugh. You know, you, you hate to talk about him so much because he gets so much press, but just being the coach of Michigan alone automatically puts you on the hot seat. There's an expectation <laughs> expectation to win, and, you know, it's so hard to win in the Big Ten and so hard to beat all your rivals in the Big Ten and then, get you know, get beat up all year and at the end of the season come in and still have to perform in a bowl or in the playoffs. And I think the Big Ten has really suffered from the fact that it's arguably, you know, the first or second best conference in the nation and the fact that is these the big four teams or five teams they just you know they pound each other all year and uh yeah. they, they just can't handle it when it comes to the end of the season and um something to prove jim harbaugh has always got something to prove when for the first few years of his of his career they're saying oh he can't beat his rivals can't beat his rivals can't win in columbus can't win in east lansing and i think he's he's made the right steps to get to the point where he can and i think you know if he can if he can go and uh and whip ohio state next year and still you know get a get a, a nice bowl game or get into the playoff uh, I think he'll have done his job yeah I feel like with Michigan fans there's kind of a really high expectation from Jim Harbaugh so the fact that he hasn't gone to a playoff yet the fact that he hasn't beaten Ohio State yet kind of doesn't resonate with them well and kind of leaves a bad taste in their mouth about him after every season um, so I think that once that happens, once he beats Ohio State, I think that there'll be a little bit more of a positive vibe around him. But after that, and then they're going to be wanting a playoff. And if he can't deliver that within a couple of years, I think some things might have to change because the fans and boosters are going to be upset and just not good. Jeed's thoughts? Yeah, personally, I think Harbaugh's going to be there until he either leaves or dies. Uh, he's just, he's a Michigan man. The big two. Uh, you know they fired Brady Hoke <laughs> and Rich Rodriguez, but they weren't Michigan men. And uh, Lloyd Carr, when he left, he just retired. He's just one of those coaches who's always going to be there, kind of like Kansas State. Uh, Bill Snyder, uh, he coached for till he was 145. <laughs> um, the old bull. <laughs> um, but as as a per- personally as a Michigan fan, we I think we do have too high of expectations. Like we come into the year, we don't know the roster. Uh, some of us will be like, oh, they should go 11-1, and one, you know, without even looking at the roster and who who's coming back and, you know, stuff like that. I just think our expectations are too high. This year, I think they, it was deserving that we have, you know, pretty lofty goals and expectations for them because the team obviously was just really good and really talented. And I, I think they met those expectations. Um, they, he just hasn't exceeded the expectations yet. Yeah, there's always going to be people – that's just the nature of, of being a fan of Michigan sports. There's always going to be someone disappointed at the yeah, end of the year. Michigan yeah. could make it to the national championship next year and lose by one point to Clemson or Alabama, 
and there will still be fans saying, oh, Jim Harbaugh can't close out games if they, you know, they could be undefeated up to that point. Yeah. And there's still going to be someone left with a sour taste in their mouth because because they couldn't they couldn't close it out. So I think until I think until Jim Harbaugh wins nine national championships in a row, and then he hires Tom Brady as the quarterback coach at Michigan, and then he <laughs> then he brings God to be to be the to sing the national anthem before a game. I think until then, there's always going to be some people disappointed. Yeah, you got a point there, Stephen. Uh, one coach that I think has something to prove is Willie Taggart from Florida State. You know. Oh. The oh, Seminoles. does he have something to prove? Oh, yeah. They he went, could be on the hot seat. They, he's hot seat. He's got something to prove. He's all that. He went 5-7 and seven last year, which, I mean... If you told me Florida State would go 5-7 and seven in my lifetime, yeah, I'd, punch I you, I'd punch you in the face. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Yeah, I mean, that's just non-believable if somebody told me that Florida State would be going 5-7. and seven. So, I mean, 2014, they made it to a playoff. They went 12-0 and 0 during the regular season. Um with Jimbo Fisher, I gotta think that if he does bad a few years in a row with Taggart, he's gotta be on the hot seat. He'll be out of there in yeah. no time if especially, he doesn't turn this program. Especially because that program is like a financial powerhouse. That's why you always see Texas coaches getting fired, Texas A&M coaches, Texas Tech coaches, because there's so much money in football there, and it's the same story in Florida that um, people are looking for results right away. It's you know college football at least from a coach's perspective, is a results-driven game. Whereas, you know, for, for professional sports, if they're if they're keeping the team financially stable, they're making money and they're getting teams yeah. to the playoffs, you know, fans will be happy. As long as, as long as the stadium's filling up, owners will be happy. And uh, you don't really have that in college football because everyone is everyone is so replaceable just because of the, the amount of players, the amount of teams, and the, 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 the so few playoff spots that really everything is every, – everyone is on the hot seat technically, but – uh, and, and those big money programs, especially like Florida State. Let's hear from Jeeds. Yeah, I think Willie Taggart had a disappointing first year, um, but I just his quarterback for most of the year was DeAndre Francois, who I don't think was mentally in a football he, mode. He is a mental short person. Yeah, he's a mental he's midget. A mental midget, as Timo likes to say. Uh, yeah, I just don't think he had the right players this year. Um, and he runs a different kind of offense than Florida State ran in past years. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like Rich Rod the first year in Michigan. He went 3-9. and nine. Um, He was also using, like, a former walk-on quarterback from Georgia Tech, uh, Stephen Threat, as his quarterback. And uh, it was a spread offense, and he's definitely not a running quarterback. Um, so it's kind of the same situation. He's just got to get his uh, recruits coming in that fit his mold and fit his system. Um yeah, I think he'll have success there. And that'll come. Years. Recruits yeah. will come to Florida State, especially uh, as they're gonna they're gonna get some 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 bigger guys that aren't getting the offers from from big programs, but they still want to play high level football. And uh, so yeah, like guys are gonna go to Florida State just not just because they went five and seven doesn't mean people are turning a blind eye to that yeah, program. Absolutely. Uh, real quick, one more coach that I think has something to prove, who's not a head coach is um, Josh Gaddis. He's uh, you know recently hired as Michigan's OC. Harbaugh's giving him the keys to the offense there. He's a former Alabama wide receivers coach, Penn State wide receivers coach, Vanderbilt wide receivers coach, uh, and Western Michigan wide receivers coach. He's a uh, he's, uh, he's a Penn State coach's name. Uh, James Franklin. He's a yeah, James Franklin, Franklin protege. Former Vanderbilt uh, coach. Yes, and Penn State. Really turned that program around. Um, so he's got a lot of proof this year. Is Michigan's gonna try and you know reinvent their offense this year? Um, Harbaugh 
likes to run a run-heavy kind of offense, pro style. But Gaddis is going to come in and try and spread the ball around, kind of like a an Oregon offense. And he's got a lot to prove this year because there's a lot of expectations, obviously, as Michigan fans <laughs> like to give. So. All right, now we're going to go into buy or sell real quick. We're just going to do a rapid fire, about five questions here. Northwestern wins the Big Ten West. Buy or sell? Buy. I'll give that a buy, yeah. Jonathan Taylor rushes for 1,500 yards. Oh, buy or sell? Big time buy. Uh, teammate of Scotty Nelson, friend of the show. I'm going to have to sell on that one. Wisconsin uh, has three guys going to the draft this year on the line, so they're going to be young, and uh, I don't think uh, he'll be able to get uh, you to know, that Wisconsin number. You know, Wisconsin breeds O-line. I know, I, think, I know, I know. I think they'll plug those holes real quick. 1,000 yards in itself is impressive, though, but 1,500 is kind of a big ask. UCF makes the college football playoff. Sell, 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 sell. Uh, Kyler Murray goes number one overall in the NFL draft. I'd buy that. Cardinals have the first pick as of now, and, uh, you know, Cliff Kingsbury loves him. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to have to say bye. I'm going to have to say bye. It looks like, you know, those kind of those kind of players seem to be going first in the past yeah. few years. Josh okay. Rosen didn't get it done this year, so I'm going bye. And our last question of the day, Michigan State goes under 500 next season. Sell. So. I'm going to buy that one. I just I really didn't think Michigan State's offense was good last year, and they're shuffling it around this year, so it's unproven. So I'm not gonna go ahead and you know take something or not take something because I really don't have all the facts. I don't think Lewerke was as impressive as he was in his junior campaign, um, and just a lot of question marks. They're gonna have a lot of freshmen starting this year. You know, so I, I'm not gonna lie. Michigan State has got a lot to prove as as a football team, uh, and I I didn't just say sell just as a as a fail safe in case I go there and people go and look back at the receipts but uh, I, I think I think they're, they're they've got a fighting spirit in that program and I think they'll be able to turn I'm not gonna say they have a great yeah, year yeah. but I think um, I think they'll be a little better than people expected which they are right. every year that's all we have for buy or sell Gee, do you want to wrap things up yeah we'd like to thank you for listening to this podcast another quick thank you to Carson Tepper our producer and uh, my my guests uh, they'll be in and out of the show we got Timo Lenhard and Steve Hahn Happy to be here, John. Thank you for t- having us on today. Really, really just a pleasure. Really great episode. Uh, we're going to have to cut it. Uh, you know, If we could talk all day, we would. But that gives you guys another reason to come back next week. So thank you so much for listening to Episode 1 of the Spiral Podcast. Next week, we'll bring you uh, our preseason top 25s, some more buyer sells. And uh, we'll even get into previewing the ACC conference. So thank you very much for listening in this week. My name is John Eads, alongside Timo Lenhard. And Steve Hahn, and we'll see you next week.